When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Italian pod it is Monday evening of course that means it's time for the Monday night Euro review show I as always am Rory I'm joined by my very good friend Adam and a new friend of the show um at JSGC or Jace to his friends how are we doing man good thank you very much Derby day win for City yesterday so I'm absolutely buzzing mate absolutely buzzing <laughs> I, I, I just wanted to ask at the top of the show, are you bored of battering him yet? Because it does feel Never. like it's happening more and more frequently. <laughs> Never. I've, I've been supporting City since 2002, albeit a short stretch that I had of seeing City pre-takeover. I mm-hmm. only got to endure six years of pain, um, but there were six brutal years growing up. Uh, me being based in the northwest of England, uh, you're getting the big rise of Manchester United through the late 90s and the early noughties. You obviously have tremendous success from Liverpool uh, on the European stage at the mm-hmm. same time as well. Literally, when it comes to supporting teams, it's either United or Liverpool. And uh, me being a City fan was always felt like I was just the odd one out and uh, everyone just likes to, to tease because City just simply weren't as good so when we've had our rise and we're able to dethrone Liverpool no matter how good that they've been over the last few years and the fact that we've managed to continuously uh, beat Manchester United as well never gets boring. Well as an as an Arsenal fan growing up near Manchester growing up in Crewe I also had to put up with gloating United fans the entire time. (laughs) Yeah it is horrible it is horrible (laughs) completely Um, but I need to say Adam I need to welcome you in how you doing man you're good. I'm doing very well Uh, I skipped the Ballon d'Or just for our show so you know I think there's more (laughs) scenes here to be fair Um, but yeah doing quite well and like you guys I'm full of Man United fans around this region, even though I'm based down south. So, yeah, we can all join in in the bashing, can't we, now? So, we're all good. I can't wait. It's going to be a full hour of it, I reckon. Um, But we do need to... Well, we'll start at Old Trafford, right? Um, And, Jace, we'll get your... How are you feeling heading into this game? Because I feel like, as much as I said, like, you do battering quite a lot, their record... Mm wasn't that bad like they beat you at Old Trafford last year controversially Mm -hmm. albeit but how were you feeling headed into the game did you think it would be as comfortable as it was there were a lot of City fans in the build-up to this game that were very nervous I think it's just natural when we're facing Manchester United to get the pre-Derby day nerves Mm -hmm. I imagine you're probably very familiar with that when you're facing Spurs being an Arsenal fan you get them Derby day jitters that people just weren't feeling that confident and very much at City even though we've won so many trophies now over the last decade or so uh, the motto at City has always been typical City and I feel like that's just a, a difficult motto to shift away from fans Mm. that you end up building up to any big game you're going in with tremendous 
negativity because you're preparing yourself for the worst that that typical city is going to strike and that we're not going to get the result uh, that we're looking for. I think from my own, uh, because I'm running my own YouTube channel, I'm able to do a lot of analysis. I'm seeing a lot of what Manchester City are doing uh, right from through the academy and uh, in the background and stuff. It just fills me with confidence. So there's no game out there that I fear. I, I know exactly what City are capable of. We haven't managed to display it that often this season, mm -hmm. uh, even though we picked up six wins in a row in the Premier League. None of them wins were that convincing. Uh, we certainly weren't hitting the heights that we were capable of from uh, the business end of last season. And this game against United was a chance for not just Manchester City to showcase that we've still got it, but also a chance for Manchester United to try and show actually they've got something that they can build the rest of their campaign on. And so it was, to me, a very pivotal derby. Mm -hmm. And it just showed mm -hmm. that at the end of the day, Manchester United are far, far away from where they want to be. And Manchester City now, uh, I feel like, are just slowly starting to to find their feet and with how City performed yesterday, I, I do feel like if we're going up against anybody in the world, we can put in such a dominating display away from home as well uh, against our local rivals, a game we want to win more than any other in the Premier League. It just showcases, I think, where Manchester City are at and the direction that they're going in uh, for mm. this season. I don't want to come across as being cocky or anything, but um, it, it's going to be difficult for everybody else in the Premier League to be able to to dethrone Manchester City when they're in the mood that they was in uh, yesterday afternoon. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of scary that I have to remember that Kevin De Bruyne is still to come mm. back into this team at some <laughs> point as well. And it I'm is like, scary. Ob like, obviously, last year as an Arsenal fan, I got a little bit carried away and allowed myself to kind of start believing. And then obviously what happened happened this year. I'm very much trying to stop myself from doing that and reminding myself that Kevin De Bruyne is coming back is mm. the way I'm, I'm doing that because especially the second half performance, it was when Man City really started to dominate. I think like, especially the second goal was a carbon copy of the attack that Onana saved at the mm -hmm. end of the first yeah. half, yeah. which yeah. exposes issues with United, which we'll get to. But do you feel like that second goal really allowed City to, to start breathing and find their, their feet? Because at that point, it stopped being a competition. We are always looking for that, what I call the killer second goal. Mm. We look for a two-goal cushion. That gives us that mm. uh, little bit of a gap a bit of leeway for us to just be a little bit more expressive and it just takes the pressure away. Whilst the game's at 1-0, the game's not over. It only takes one attack. We've been stung before in the past. One game that comes to mind last season is a match against uh, Nottingham Forest. We completely mm. annihilated them right from uh, minute one, right through to minute 80. All of a sudden, Nottingham Forest don't do anything all game. We've got it at 1-0. Nottingham Forest do one thing, one attack, one goal, and they came away with a point. And that point could have been potentially devastating at the top of the Premier mm. League. We had to go on a tremendous run from there uh, to be able to topple Arsenal last season. Uh, so you're always a bit weary when we're mm. at 1-0. We saw it at Old Trafford last season. We were 1-0 up there as well. A decision doesn't go your way. Momentum turns and all of a sudden you end up getting a negative result. So, uh, to me, look for that killer second goal, kill the game off, and we can relax and we can push mm -hmm. from there. And often you'll see City then go on and score three, four, five. Mm -hmm. My only criticism from yesterday, I think if City wanted uh, even six or seven, and it sounds outrageous for me to say that, if they wanted it, <laughs> they could have had it. Yeah.
Yeah, I think it, I think three definitely flatters Manchester United. But Adam, mm-hmm. I'm going to go to you. Did mm-hmm. Man City get a fortuitous result in the penalty or a fortuitous decision? Because I think if that is given, if that's a penalty, which I think technically it is a penalty, mm-hmm. but if it's consistently um, like used across the league, then we are going to mm-hmm. get penalties every single game, right? And we know it's not going to be consistently used. How did you feel about the penalty? Yeah, I, I said to you when it first happens, I felt like it was going to be one of those that could be given either way. So, you know, sometimes you see those kind of decisions. But yeah, um, all I was going to say was I, I see them very constantly happen all the time. And um, yeah, it's just one of those things that I find that in that very instance, Hoyland is deliberately just trying to stop the player. Uh, I don't, for me, I feel like there is certain circumstances where you see it on corners as well, where people are holding shirts, etc. But this was a deliberate kind of attention kind of piece by Hoyland. He wasn't even concentrating with Rodri when he was making that run. So for me, I felt that was definitely a penalty. Um, but I can see what you mean by we could see this a bit more frequently, but a bit like the inconsistencies we've seen across the season with many decisions, including offside as well. Um, mm. We don't have to extend it too much, but yeah, I mean, there's loads of decisions and I could go on about League One refereeing standards as well, because being a Wicked Wanderers fan, I get it all the time. So um, yeah, in summary, all I would say is I think it was penalty personally. I, how did you feel about it, Jay? Well, I imagine you were very happy about it, but did you feel you'd got you got away with it a bit? Um, well, it's I think it's just like you said before. You'll see these challenges game after game, up and down the leagues, um, and often they just go unpunished. And that could easily have just gone unpunished. And I think everyone would just brush it off and say, perhaps should have been a penalty. They don't really get given. We move on with it. And, and normally such a big game, they're looking for something that's really stonewall. So I could understand the frustrations. I was covering it on my live stream yesterday during uh, the penalty incident. Uh, I, I saw it and I didn't really know what had happened uh, on the first take of it. It's only when they show the replays, you see it in slow motion that it looks uh, maybe worse than, than what it was. Mm-hmm. But because Rodri's got the extra yard on him, he grabs the shirt, it, he's leaving the decision up to the officials. Um, and once you go over to the monitor, there's only going to be one decision mm-hmm. as far yeah. as uh, I'm yeah. concerned. Um, I thought it was a bit harsh. As you said, it just often isn't going uh, to get punished uh, up and down the divisions. Uh, I do feel like there needs to be a, a, a better level of consistency across the board. If they're going to be giving penalties like that, then they need to be giving it uh, in every single game, not just in one or two, mm-hmm. or just highlighting the problem in a big mm-hmm. game in a Manchester derby. Uh, I was delighted to get the penalty. I thought it was a penalty <laughs> according to the law, uh, mm-hmm. but um, it is It is what it is. Uh, yeah. We're going to be, throughout the whole season, we're going to have decisions that go our way that I'm going to be very happy with. There's going to be decisions that don't go our way that I'm going to moan about. Football. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, exactly. But I, I, So I want to move on to, before we give United a proper shooting, uh, another proper shooting. Um, I wanted to ask you who your like standout performers were for City. I think Bernardo Silva is the first name that's probably going to come out. But yeah, talk to us about mm. Bernardo Silva. Any other players that kind of particularly impressed you? 
we've had a big concern over the last few weeks. Um, I don't know if you've been watching City as religiously as what uh, what I do, but um, we've gone from having a midfield at the start of the season where we saw Ilkay Gundogan leave, Kevin De Bruyne mm. picked up an injury, Bernardo Silva's not being as fit as what we normally have him. And all of a sudden you take away a Gundogan, a Bernardo and a Kevin De Bruyne and you get the likes of Calvin Phillips and Mateus Nunes going into our midfield. And all of a sudden it doesn't look as good and it looks a bit... Shaky. You saw it in the game against Arsenal. I saw it in the Carabao Cup loss that we had against Newcastle. It was there on display when we lost against Wolves as well. To me, we need that settled, mid, uh, settled mm-hmm. midfield. And uh, having a midfield made up of John Stones, Rodri, Bernardo Silva, Julian Alvarez, it's an outstanding midfield. It's a midfield that doesn't miss the presence of Ilkay Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, that's how much depth there is there for City. Take one or two injuries away from them players and all of a sudden it doesn't look as good. But whilst we've got them mm-hmm. available in the big games, they're capable of taking anybody apart. Uh, Bernardo Silva's an outstanding player. He can play on the right, play on the left, can go through the middle, drops deeper, as you saw yesterday. He's more than capable of playing as a, a deep-lying playmaker. He can drop into defensive midfield. He's not scared to get mm-hmm. stuck in. He's just a complete midfielder that mm-hmm. does literally anything and everything. He's the perfect Pep player. Pep tells him what he needs to do. Bernardo Silva listens, Bernardo Silva does, and it works time and time again. But I also want to speak about Rodri and John Stones and just how good it made Man City's (laughs) defence, just how much more improved Manchester City's defence looked yesterday because they were there in front uh, of the defence. They're just, the distribution was outstanding. They looked calm and collective on the ball. They were winning the headers when they were coming into the box. United were trying cross after cross that just wasn't coming to any avail. Uh, And just as a whole, as a unit, the team, it just looked very settled. And I think that helped Manchester City yesterday uh, in our fluent style of football. Um, Elsewhere on the pitch, um, I didn't think it was Julian Alvarez's best game uh, in midfield, Mm -hmm. if I'm honest. I see him drop a little bit deeper. Uh, but I think Erling Haaland's grabbing all the headlines, so Julian Alvarez doesn't really need to be on it when you've got an informed Erling Haaland that's starting to find his feet. So um, I just thought, all in all, it was just a perfect performance and a great team selection from Pep. I was a bit mm-hmm. dubious about Jack Grealish starting. Again, he was dropping deeper and he was, played an outstanding role for City yesterday, uh, despite him not grabbing an assist or a goal. Because everyone mm-hmm. always criticises him. You don't see him get them statistics. You don't yeah, see him yeah. get them assists. You don't see him get them goals and people don't really realise what's he bringing to the team and what he is doing is just helping Manchester City as a team look much better with their ball mm-hmm. retention and Pep Guardiola's football. It's all about ball retention. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to keep hold of that ball, you're not going to find them passes. You're not going to do them dribbles. It doesn't work. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think Jack Grealish showed that he's the type of personality you want in a derby as well because he doesn't mm-hmm. back down at all. He had a few where he was stepping into scraps and you're like, that's why you've got him mm-hmm. on the field. Um, but we need to talk about Manchester United, I suppose. Um, some fun statistics. Um, Erling Haaland has now scored as many goals as Manchester <laughs> United this that, season. Yeah. Um, they've now lost as many they've now lost as many games as they did under Alex Ferguson's entire reign <laughs> since he fight, since he's left the job um, at home. And it all looks a bit of a mess. I watched the Sky Sports coverage, and again, it was the Glazers who didn't defend the back post. Um, it was the Glazers <laughs> who didn't put in enough tackles in midfield. Yeah. Um, Adam, can we continue to blame the Glazers? We know they're a problem, but also Eric Ten Hag has to take some blame here. Taking off Amrabat at half time <laughs> is just handing the midfield to Man City for me. 
Yeah, I mean, I've been saying it for weeks that I felt Ten Hag has lost it. Um, there's no kind of distinct style that you're finding with this side. And he's had, what, 18 months to kind of develop and push on. And there's a really bizarre kind of um, summary that he gave to one of the reporters, which was um, he was asked about whether he was going to bring that kind of Ajax philosophy to Man United. And he said, no, because Man United players don't suit that style and they're a little bit more direct. So I don't think he's really fond of the players, for one. Um, but secondly, the thing is, he's had time to bring in his own players. Now, you can have a go and have a dig at the Glazers around their transfer policy. But ultimately, Ten Hag has had a say in terms of the players that he wanted. He wanted Anthony at the club and his petulance was really evident towards the end so of that match. It was how it, he didn't get sent off for that foul against Doku is incredible. But just, just there's no kind of identity. You just don't know what you're getting with Man United anymore. And the fact is, like, Harry Maguire was brought back in, even though he was willing to sell him on. And he could have given a penalty against Harlem, which wasn't really picked up very well. Johnny Evans looks so out of his depth. Unfortunately, he's just the I legs feel sorry gone. for him. Yeah, I exactly. Feel sorry, feel for sorry for the guy. But ultimately, the, all over the place, you need a whole new 11. Apart from Onana, who I thought was probably their best player on the day. And that's saying quite a mm. lot about Man United at the moment. And, and Rashford, he just can't bring that form that he does for England to Man United. He clearly just does not feel comfortable in that environment. And I'm not a keen fan of Bruno Fernandes, but again, I don't know what he brings to that side anymore because, yeah, you could have said, yeah, he gives a bit of like a bit of a class kind of touch, but I don't see it anymore. I don't see what he brings to the match. And in particular for the derbies, I've never actually seen him play very well. I don't know if Jay feels the same or Rory, but yeah, I don't see it. I'm still working on my theory that Bruno Fernandes was only good during COVID. I'm pretty convinced <laughs> he was only decent when there was no fans in the stadium. Um, but, Jace, how did you see Eric Ten Hag and United's performance? Because I felt like a lot of those mistakes are coachable mistakes and a lot of the, mm. the turning points were on his decisions. Uh, he's, he's got his style of football uh, and I feel like rather than trying to get Manchester United to adapt to his style of football, he's trying to adapt to Manchester United. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the first mistake that's happening with his uh, with his uh, tenor at uh, Manchester United. Um, it's a different ball game. I know Ajax are a, a very prestigious, very big club, mm -hmm. but... Uh, you would expect it to be a fundamality that they're going to do very well in the Eredivisie. I know they're not doing very well this season. Except this season. Yeah. Except this se take yeah. this season away from that, though. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you yeah. would expect Ajax time and time again to, to do well. And so to apply your style of play to a team that's already doing well, that's got very little competition, isn't as difficult a job as what it is taking on mm -hmm. Manchester United when you're going up against some of the best coaches and some of the best players in the world. So I feel like you need more authority to, to say, this is what I'm looking for and this is what I want you to do. And he's at times not been scared to make the big decision. You've seen it with Jaden Sancho, clearly out of favour, doesn't want him around the team uh, dressing room. So he dismisses him away and says, you're training on your own. You're not going to be part of the match day squad. And it's all fine and well being the uh, head coach and doing that. But you want to win that dressing room over. You want to get the confidence and the morale of the players up. You need the results on the pitch. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and to be able to make that happen 
uh, as a head coach, you need to to go out there and really assert your authority. And at the moment, it's just it looks like a bunch of clowns on mm. on the pitch. None of them mm. look like they know what they're doing. And yesterday was a prime example of what an organised, disciplined team looks like going up against Manchester United. Mm-hmm. They made a complete fool of them. It was delightful to see from my end, but I can imagine <laughs> frustrations for the Manchester United fans yesterday. Uh, yeah. I was reading through some of the some of the comments, and as funny as some of them were, um, a lot of the repetitive words were coming in from the Manchester United fans. That what they were saying was, uh, at the end of the day, the Manchester United—they're a big club. They demand success, and to do that, you need a certain kind of arrogance about you. And I don't think Eric Ten Hag is that manager to be able to take Manchester United forward. I personally think he's an outstanding coach and I think Mm -hmm. he should have waited at Ajax, done a couple Mm -hmm. more seasons and built himself up a job where he'd be able to apply his style of play because United just want instant success. They don't care about anything else other than we win trophies and we're the best team. Mm -hmm. And for that to happen for the position that they're in, they have to build a foundation there. And at the moment, there's no foundations there. That defence yesterday from them was an absolute joke. Johnny Evans is like 55 years old and Harry Maguire is slower than the Titanic. (laughs) I don't get it. It really doesn't make any sense. They had a Rafael Varane. I don't know how fit he was, but the fact that he's on the bench for Manchester United, if you're on the bench, you're fit enough to start. Why is he not in that starting eleven? I don't understand. It was was crazy. I thought Scott McTominay yesterday in the first half was Manchester United's best threat going forward. He forced a brilliant save from Edison and he forced a really good uh, tame shot in the second minute. And then they decided to take Amrabat off and then drop McTominay deeper and it took away all their midfield presence and Manchester City were just allowed to completely dominate. I don't get mm-hmm. what Ten Hag's thought was about Amrabat. I don't know if he was concerned. He was on a yellow card, wasn't he? I don't he, he did get bombed. About yeah. that. But they just, I, I, I don't know what's going on at Manchester United. Mm. They just look undisciplined. You saw it with Anthony when he came on. He was only on for two minutes. He was kicking uh, Jeremy Docker. He had two swipes at him, slapping yeah. him, raised hands. It baffles me. Yeah, baffles me. He's got no control of that dressing room. No, and that's it. And I think, yeah, I think he's trying to put his foot down. Right, he's really trying. It just feels like substitute teacher vibes. It's just not working. And (laughs) yeah, and and and, and like this morning, of course, the inevitable leaks come out that the players think the training isn't good enough. They think it's too intense, and that's why there's so many injuries. And it's just this cycle that repeats and repeats and repeats. It is. Insane. I think there is a slight, the tiniest part of me that does feel quite bad for United fans. It's not a big part, but I do feel quite bad for them because there is they're, they're just stuck in purgatory at the minute. And I think even if the owners do change and Jim Ratcliffe does come in, it's not going to be this new dawn and all of a sudden the whole direction of the club turns around. It needs roots and branches, complete reform. Like there's not a single part of the club I keep at this point. It's it's like it's the it's poisonous there and it needs weeding Mm. out player Mm. by player coach by coach member of staff after member of staff it all just needs weeding out and going again and the problem that you've got again we'll go back to the fans the demand instant success it cannot happen overnight Mm -hmm. yeah it needs time it needs time and they're not they're not going to give anybody time and whilst that mindset's there it's going to fail 
No, I think I think you're completely right. They, they, whoever the next person is, it's going to happen all over again. But we're going to give United fans a bit of a relief there. We're going to give them a rest. And we're going to move on to the rest of the Premier League, I think. Um, Adam, which game are we going to talk to talk about next? Um, Let, let's talk we... about Villa. Villa, I'm Ooh, quite, quite loving them at the moment. <laughs> 12 consecutive wins at home for Unai Emery <laughs> and Aston Villa. And not only are they winning, they are... They are blasting teams out of the out of the window. Now that's three one. Again, Luton Town are a pretty hard team to beat. They only lose by the odd goal. They're not they're not taking like hammerings like Sheffield no. United. But for Aston Villa, Diaby gets his first goal um, at Villa Park as well. And yeah. Adam, Aston Villa Europa League this year. Surely it feels like they are massively pushing. They are, and they're getting the right momentum at the moment. And um, we've spoken for the last few weeks about Ollie Watkins and how he's becoming much more of a focal point. He just needs to work on that consistency piece. But when you look at what they've got set up and how Emery likes to kind of like change the tactics during the duration of the match as well, he's kind of likes to pull players out and create opportunities for others. I think you've got the right blend of players right now. He's really worked it out and... They just are so exciting at the moment. They are kind of like Brighton from last season, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Just you expect them to push on even further. And I think, you know, when he's rejuvenated the likes of McGinn, for example, you've seen what a like class play he's becoming now. We knew that before he joined as well. Like obviously there was a player there, but you know, he went stale under Gerard and now he's back to his best again. So Again, just the way that they're playing at the moment, they're so fluid, they get crosses into the box. Lucas Digne, he has quite a game, one match, then he turns up. I mean, you, you look at the team and you're just genuinely excited and I'm glad for once Villa fans have got something to cheer because they haven't had that for a number of years. But yeah, they're just playing some really nice football at the moment and... Yeah, with Diaby, as you alluded to, he, he seems like a bargain now, doesn't he? I mean, 50 it, million is just nothing now. It's incredible. Like He was linked with like lots of clubs in the Premier League, and mm. I think Villa have been really good at identifying targets like that and just getting those players that maybe the like top four clubs are kind of mm. doubtful about and like, do we take the risk? And Villa just come in, get them, and like like even Diego Carlos at the back, like there's yeah. a few players that they brought in where I just massively raised the level. Like Jason, have you been how impressed by Villa have you been this year? Like it is Unai Emery. I'm so happy to see him doing well. Honestly, he's a fantastic manager. Um, mm. and Aston Villa, uh, are building foundations there to make sure that there's like you were saying before almost Brighton-esque from last mm. season. That there's a bit of a conveyor belt there that perhaps couple of the big teams may come sniffing for one or two of their players and I don't think it'll have any impact on them whatsoever. They're a team that are, are playing right now with a lot of confidence. They're difficult to beat, which is always mm. going to work well in the in the Premier League. Uh, I know that City have got Villa coming up uh, at the beginning of December at Villa Park. There isn't a game right now. We've got Chelsea away coming up. We've got Liverpool at home coming up. Uh, we've got Spurs as well at home coming up. It's that Villa match that causes mm. me the most concern causes me a headache to a point that uh we've got a match against young boys in the champions league we win that we seal qualification into the last 16 we need to seal qualification asap we need to just mm -hmm. get players uh rested and rotated as quickly as possible because we've got some difficult fixtures coming up and i think villa to me is one of if not the most difficult that we've got mm -hmm. coming up that's how good that they can be 
Um, fantastic manager in Unai Emery. I'm impressed with the defence. I think Torres is a fantastic centre-back. I know City were linked with him mm. a couple of years back. Uh, I've been impressed with the performance of uh, Cash at uh, right-back as well. Mm. Uh, it just looks like a very settled team. And I'm delighted that former City man Douglas Luiz, one of our uh, young players that we yeah. brought in from Brazil, uh, we manage. He's one of the play. We bring lots of players and we sell them for profit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's how we manage. It's what we yeah. do. Uh, but he, he's an outstanding player, and I'm uh, so happy to see him doing uh, really well with Aston Villa and going from strength to strength. And to me, there's not many weaknesses when it comes to uh, Aston Villa. They're aggressive off the ball, they're good with the football, they're clinical in front of goal. They're a team that, in my opinion, uh, people are speaking about who are title threats. Well, if we're going to look after uh, look at after 10 games, we have to talk about Aston Villa because they're not far away from where they need to be. And the longer that run goes on, if they start picking up some results against them top teams, like when we go to Villa Park and they mm-hmm. beat us, all of a sudden, uh, people are going to be talking about them. And I, I rate them. I think they're good. They're a really good team. Yeah, they do. They're absolutely flying. The joint top uh, scorers in the division mm-hmm. tied with Newcastle mm-hmm. with 26 goals. So you take away Sheffield United, you take away that eight, and Aston Villa are absolutely heads and shoulders yeah. above everyone in terms of the goals scored. So absolutely loving it down at Villa Park. Um, I do think Luton, I didn't expect Luton to be the best of the promoted teams. Um, Adam, are you surprised by that? I feel like <laughs> they're learning lessons quicker than the other two. They are, but they're very workmanlike. They they kind of are camaraderie. They haven't got any big names or fancy names. And I know they've added a few bits of quality here and there, but genuinely they work for each other. And I think if you compare it to the other two teams, obviously I think with Burnley, we, we saw how good they were in the championship. They played some really total football in that respect. But it feels like company is, we've had this debate where he sticks to this philosophy of he wants to play total football in the Premier League. I think he's getting a bit found out against certain teams and that's where he maybe needs to tweak it a little bit. And you saw that goal that Bournemouth scored. I mean, obviously they noticed that Trafford was going to be off his line and Mm. yeah, they took advantage of that. And with Sheffield United, obviously they got a lot of players picked off them before the start of the season. So they really didn't stand much of a chance, but Mm. you know, hecking bottom keeps on playing this line of everyone's against us basically, but they're not getting results ultimately. So yeah, it does feel like Luton, are the most realistic to actually stay up, which is weird because I think everyone fancy them to be bottom, right? I feel like Burnley off the ball are just awful. Like the second they're not in possession, Mm. the teams just run through them. And then Sheffield United, I've not seen many teams worse turn up to the Emirates than last than that lot last weekend. I've got a mate who's a Sheffield United fan and he met he messaged me pre-game like please be nice. Like I'm terrified (laughs) of what's going to happen here. Like um Jace, who do you see from the promoted sides? Do you think Luton have the best shout? Quite possibly. Um, I look at Sheffield United, I look at Burnley. Uh, in particular, Burnley, I got to watch them a fair bit last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, their flair and style of football was uh, very good to watch. Uh, I, I'm starting to fit, because when I did my prediction at the uh, beginning of the season, I had Burnley, I thought they'd comfortably stay up. I thought Vincent mm-hmm. Company would be able to apply mm-hmm. his style of football to the Premier League. And when it comes to facing teams who are going to be around them at the bottom, I thought Burnley would be able to, to dictate. And it just goes to show that in, in football, uh, sometimes uh, you can have all the skill, you can have all the, the players, you can have all the attributes. Sometimes it's just about confidence uh, and all about form. And Luton have done that the best out of the newly promoted teams to, to take that forward. They know exactly what they're going to do. In the championship, there was always a difficult team to beat. 
Kenilworth Road was always a difficult place to go and visit for any team mm. that was going there. Uh, and they've taken that forward and said, you know what, that's what we do really yeah. well. And that's what we're going to continue to do in the Premier League. Sheffield United, I haven't seen anything from them so far this season. Uh, I think they'll be very disappointed with the start. I don't really know what to suggest for them to improve and be able to stay up because I don't think they've got the quality to no. stay in the Premier League. And I, I'm starting to have some doubts about Burnley as well. I, I, Vincent Company's a, I love him. He's a Manchester City legend. I want him to do really well. But I don't think Burnley's got the quality for the style of football that he's mm -hmm. looking to go up against the quality of opponents that they've got in the Premier League. And there is a stealth indifference between the Premier League and the Championship. And Burnley and Sheffield United have had a bit of a smack in the face when it comes mm -hmm. to that gulf indifference. And Luton, fair credit to them, have adapted really well. And it wouldn't surprise me if they managed to grind out and continue this for the rest of the season and manage to get themselves out of the relegation zone and keep themselves up. I am praying that happens just for the narrative. It would be so good for them to just stay up one season. Just it stay up one season. Me. It really wouldn't no. surprise me. It, I, I think the power of friendship, that's what it gets you, the power of friendship. And um, We're going to move on and we're going to move down to London because I can't believe it's taken us this long. We're going to laugh at Chelsea. Brentford got their annual <laughs> win at Stamford Bridge um, in the least surprising turn of events. I just sat there watching this game going, how did we draw to this lot? How were we 2-0 down to this lot? That draw at Stamford Bridge is going to haunt my dreams for a while. Um, Adam, I'm going to go for you. Brentford haven't looked great this year at all, but this is a performance that they can really like, hang their hat on and move forward, right? Yeah. I mean, look, they took advantage of what I would say was intense kind of pressure on kind of that midfield, really. That was the telling point. I mean, if you force mistakes out of that Chelsea side, they sort of crumble. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's very evident. I mean, if you look at that defence, I don't think that's the strongest defence in the Premier League. And that was very evident. I mean, even Robert Sanchez, we don't know what he was doing half the time with his decision making again. Um, but just, you know, Thomas Franks took advantage. They've got some good players. This is the thing with Brentford. They've got some really good players, but they are missing Ivan Tony. But yeah, full credit to them. They took advantage of Buemo and, you know, Neil Martin. He's been I mean. unbelievable in Buemo this season yeah. as well. I feel like he's really, without Tony, we're really seeing the best of him. And it was a really mm -hmm. like, yeah, how, how have you felt about Brentford, Jason? Have you been impressed with how they've handled Ivan Tony missing? I know they've had a bit of a rough start to the season, but this is a kind of a, a bright spark, I suppose. It's always going to be a big loss losing somebody as good mm -hmm. as uh, Ivan Tony, really. Um, but that result, Stamford Bridge, just it's an annual thing for them, isn't it? When uh, <laughs> go to Stamford Bridge, uh, and as you said, I can see them using that now as their little turning point in the season, and they start to kick on uh, from here. But um, th there's been a few performances I've seen from Brentford. I mean, I thought they were very unlucky uh, when they went to Old Trafford at the beginning yeah. of the, of the yeah. month. Uh, Manchester United, I thought, got got a bit lucky with a couple of uh, injury time goals there. But so that they've clearly got it about them. They're, they're again, they're they're a difficult Premier League team to break down they're a difficult team to beat and just like a, a lot of Premier League teams that are stuck in that middle pack which is where I'd put Brentford right now um if you're a, a top team who's got expectation all the pressure's on you and not on Brentford and if you give mm -hmm. Brentford 
the opening goal. They've got something to defend. They've got something to hang on to. Uh, and their defence, outstanding defence, in my opinion, uh, they can just uh, turn up and they can just get that job done. And that's exactly what's happened here uh, at Stamford Bridge as well. And I, I can see Brentford now uh, starting to kick on from there uh, and start climbing up the table. They're a good team, uh, but um, I think they've adapted really well without Ivan mm. Tony. certainly. Yeah. Um they're kicking on now. I can see them going on uh, and trying to uh, just uh, continue to push. I'm just having a look at their fixtures that they've got coming up. They've got a couple of difficult fixtures, actually. They've got Liverpool uh, and Arsenal coming up consecutive games in in November that won't be easy. But these are the kind of games for me yeah. that Brentford really thrive on. And uh, they've picked up now uh, back-to-back victories. They've got a match coming up against West Ham. They were looking to try and win that. And then all of a sudden... A difficult game for Liverpool, even yeah. though it is at Anfield, mm. and it might be a difficult game as well away uh, for Arsenal at Brentford too. So uh, we'll see. I'm, yeah. I rate Brentford though; they're a good team. They did the double over us. They're the only team that did the double over us last season, and we won the treble. So the treble <laughs> yeah, no, they have, they've got enough about them for Chelsea. I think I'm just looking at the team that started now. Dizassi is a player. I'm still massively the jury's out on for mm. me. Um, Levi Colwell, I think he's being hyped to the point that I'm not sure. I've honestly, from the games I've seen him, he looks fine, but people are talking like he's the next coming of like Maldini. I think there's a little <laughs> bit of a problem there. Um, <laughs> but the biggest problem, I think, is Nicholas Jackson. Now, I thought, I think I might have said he was going to be the signing of the season. I thought he would be, he would adapt to the Premier League a bit quicker than this. Like, Adam, do you think they're missing Nkunku and that is the main problem? Is he the problem or is it just throughout i mean there's there's a combination of they need someone that can get the ball in the back of the net um certainly if you look at the xg they created a whole host of chances i think i want to say it was 27 shots they had against mm -hmm. brentford something like that um just looking actually 17 shots and two of them being on target so that kind of summarizes that kind of game for you um but yeah i mean there, there is also a combination you know like when they go from midfield there's no one that kind of creates that space. And you can see there was highlighted on match today, Liam Delap is kind of shouting at players. Now, this is a guy that is obviously less experienced than some of his counterparts around the pitch, including Raheem Sterling. And he's trying to say, like, come on, you need to move, like, create some space to you those kind of opportunities. Mm -hmm. So I feel like at the moment they are lacking that kind of spark, but they're also, it feels like they're all kindergarten kids, aren't they? Just they are mm. developing at the same time. And that's the problem when you buy so many players that have got like potential talent rather than having experienced heads around them. You know, like we talked about Kovacic and what a steal that was for Man City, for example. I don't understand why they got rid of him because he would have yeah, been yeah. really nice in that midfield right now to give them that kind of guidance, you know. Mm. To get a hold of him and business overall. So, yeah, I think Chelsea don't have the right philosophy yet. I, I do feel sorry for Pochettino to an extent, but yeah, you the kind of floor stands by Pochettino. Everything that he's kind of trying to work out with this Chelsea squad lands on him at the moment. And, mm -hmm. you know, they're so inconsistent with that performances. But you said it yourself, you know, somehow you were losing to the same team 2-0 last weekend. And yet they do that performance against Brentford that shows you how yo-yo this Chelsea side is. And I think it's going to take them at least two years before we start seeing the true Chelsea side, unfortunately. And it might not be with Pochettino at the helm as well. Well, the interesting thing is as well, like this whole master plan of theirs with the finances, 
if they, how long can they not qualify for the Champions League before it becomes a problem? <laughs> because they've they've bet it all on the hat, like they've bet it all on black and gone right. Let's see, this has to this has to pay off. So they really need to start getting European football at some point. It's not happening this season. I think we can safely say that. Um, the last Premier League game we're going to talk about because I'm absolutely in love with this guy. He had such a great start to the season last season, went a bit quiet, but this year he's absolutely smashing it. Huang at Wolves scores yet again as they come back. Um, they they come back late on against Newcastle to make it two two. Um, Gary O'Neill doing a fantastic job at Wolves. They're now kind of mid table, looking fairly comfortable. Um, Jason, we had Wolves to go down, but this is another yep. gritty, d- disciplined performance from them. Yep. Yeah, I, I think they pleasantly surprised me. I had Wolves to be relegated as well. Was it uh, the was it a day or is it a week before the Premier League season started yeah. when the manager left? Yeah. Uh, and I just thought that's just confirming that's where Wolves, gone. Wolves yeah. were at. And, and that's just, <laughs> honestly, it swayed me. I was thinking 15th, 16th, 17th. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to stay up. They look like they're in disarray. I think they're going to be the team, that surprise package that's potentially going to, to go down. And all of a sudden, Gary O'Neill come in. Another good, solid manager who's made Wolves very difficult to beat. And uh, Pep Guardiola, as he famous, uh, famously said, uh, with Huang, that Korean guy, yeah. seems to have just gone on leaps and bounds. He's used that as motivation. Uh, yeah. We've seen Miggy Almiron use it at Newcastle when Jack Grealish called him out in our uh, title celebrations a couple of seasons ago. And they use it as fuel, as motivation. And uh, Huang now seems to be going uh, from strength to strength. But uh, yeah, Wolves... Uh, they beat us back at the end of September. We just didn't play a very good game and Wolves did what they needed to do and they made mm-hmm. themselves difficult uh, to beat. Uh, they grabbed the goals of a clinical in front of goal and all of a sudden, uh, they've what, they unbeaten now in their last four games, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, picked up uh, what is a, a pretty good point against uh, Newcastle. Uh, considering that they were uh, behind, trailed uh, both times in that game. So, um, Wolves are a good team. Um I'm not, I had them to get relegated just purely based on the direction that it looked like they were going in. Yeah. Um, at the moment, they look like they're, they're going to be comfortably staying up. They look like a pretty solid Premier League team. Um, I've not, I'll, I'll be honest, I've not been that impressed with Newcastle so far this season. I don't know whether they're just mm. feeling a bit of a fatigue from mm. playing Champions League football. It just seems like at the moment, up on Tyneside, that all motivation for them seems to be about Champions League football yeah. and this very difficult group. And you're going to enjoy the moment you're playing Champions League football for the first time in, what, 20-odd years. Uh, so you have every right to enjoy that. But uh, I'm, I've not been that impressed with Newcastle so far uh, this season uh, in the Premier League. So I, I'm wondering what they're going to do to try and bridge that gap because at the moment there's a little bit of a, a points difference starting to elaborate between themselves Mm-hmm. Uh, and they uh, lead in top five at the moment, and they may struggle to make Champions League football next season if they allow uh, Spurs, Arsenal, City, Liverpool, Aston Villa just to continue with their form. And if it continues for another five or six games, it could be uh, a mm-hmm. good 10, 15 points behind. Uh, I know we're only, only in the first uh, half of the season, we're in the early stages, uh, but every point matters, and uh, mm-hmm. they need to be grinding out and uh, picking up them wins as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I feel like Eddie Howe isn't really like rotating much. We've not seen much of Tino Livramento. We've not seen much of that lad that they bought from Chelsea, who was apparently amazing, not seeing oh, him. Yeah, Eddie yeah, I, I feel like he's 
he's very much sticking with the same 11, and that's why they are kind of struggling to get these results. Like, Adam, do you think it is the Champions League having an effect on them? They still scored. Again, you have to take that Sheffield United game out of the way, I suppose, but they have still scored plenty of goals. Yeah, I, I would say also the um, kind of injury to Sven Botman has definitely mm -hmm. taken its toll on them. I think he brings them a little bit more solidity in that central kind of area of that defence that certainly helps that kind of midfield worry about their duties. And certainly, I think... Obviously, they've tried to find their steps with Tonali. Tonali hasn't necessarily been on form. Obviously, we know what's happened more recently. He's not going to be for a while. He's not going to be playing there for a while. Um, so, the, yeah, that's a bit of a taste at the moment with that 70 million down the drain. But that said, you know, they, they've got more about them and it'll be a question of how do they progress out of this group? Do they actually progress? And if they don't, then I suspect they'll kind of regroup and then mm -hmm. you'll see them better in the league. Um, but that said, you know, look, I think they've got a good enough squad to still be up there by the end of the season. And it's just going to be a question of, can they get that consistency? I mean, don't forget, they've played quite a lot of football as well. They've mm -hmm. played a hell of a lot of football at this stage. So maybe that is a bit of fatigue now playing in. So I'm surprised Eddie Howe doesn't rotate it, but he did this at Bournemouth as well. If yeah, you yeah. remember, he used to stick with certain players because he liked how they played and this was the question marks at Bournemouth why didn't he let like the likes of Fraser have a chance and th this was always an ongoing thing so I suspect he's just playing with trusted players at the moment that he knows will do a job and I suspect he will add more in January's transfer window as well mm -hmm. there's a really interesting just having a look at Newcastle's fixtures so they've got the next game they're playing on Wednesday night they've got United in the uh in the league cup obviously they knocked us out in the mm. uh, in the third round and Newcastle to me they they need a trophy and the most winnable trophy they've got is the Carabao yeah. Cup um and they'll take a lot of confidence off the fact that the, they've knocked us out in the third round and they've got an away match against Manchester United and uh, Newcastle are taking 8000 fans down they're going to go with a really strong yeah. team and they're going to be mm. well up for the cup but I look at the weekend and they've got a home match against Arsenal. I'm not saying anything. Up. I'm not saying anything. I, I just, it's, it's this rotation thing, though. I yeah. look at the fixtures they've got. So they face United on Wednesday. Then they've got Arsenal at home on the Saturday before they've got a huge crunch game with Dortmund away from home on, on the Tuesday. Yeah. So they're playing three times in six days. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I'm not sure they've got the depth there to deal with the, the calibre of teams that they're going to be taking on. Mm. It'd be very interesting. I think this, I mean, it sounds dramatic even at this early stage, but I just feel like this next week's going to be really pivotal for Newcastle, really yeah, pivotal be. for their season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they've got a lot, they've got a lot of big fixtures coming up. It'll be interesting to see. We're going to leave the Premier League there. I'm very quickly going to say Eddie Nketiah hat-trick. I've just, his third goal, I absolutely <laughs> loved it. His first ever goal from outside the box for Arsenal. That has increased his average goal distance by some <laughs> way, because usually it's about yeah. six inches off the line uh but beautiful moment from him great to see emil smith rowe starting just a lovely saturday afternoon sat watching arsenal you don't get many of them usually it's a bit more uncomfortable so i enjoyed that um elsewhere tottenham did win boo they did continue this run which is starting to worry me a little bit um liverpool beat forest 3-0 brighton drew one all with fulham palina scored an absolute banger yeah. in that goal brighton really struggling at the moment um but they've got some fixtures coming up that could make it a little bit easier for them and everton with an incredible away performance against west mm. ham west ham absolutely toothless really really frustrating <laughs> afternoon for them 
did not start at all. And then Everton just super disciplined, kept doing what they're doing. Pickford making some big saves. Yeah. And Calvert-Lewin with a beautiful finish on the edge of the box again to get a big win for Everton there. They're all of a sudden looking... I'm not going to say comfortable because Everton fans won't thank me for saying that, but they're looking <laughs> a lot more comfortable than we expected, I think. Yeah. Um, so we're going to leave the Premier League there and we're going to go to Italy where it was a mental weekend. So Sunday was beautiful. Me and Adam, just before the record, were talking about what a lovely day of football it was yesterday. Um, so we're going to start with the game that everyone was looking forward to. Everyone had penciled it in their diaries. Cagliari 4, <laughs> Frosinone 3 uh, in a game... My God. Now, me and Adam were messaging again during the game. Frosinone were 3-0 up. West Ham-Everton started. I thought, oh, you know what? This game's done. Switch over to West Ham-Everton. All of a sudden, I get a message from Adam like, are you watching? Um, are Cagliari going to get back into this? I'm like, oh, crap. I had to flip back over. Um, what, a, what a game, Adam. The first half, Frosinone looked like it was home and dry. Sule, it was yeah. all about Sule. Just let's let's give Frosinone a bit of credit first, and then we'll talk about how they <laughs> fucked it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Frosinone, obviously, the team that have just come up from Serie B, and yeah, I, I kind of didn't think they would do much this season. You, on the other hand, did, and they proved likewise that their results are very good. They've got some good additions, and Sule in particular looks a standout addition at the moment. Only on loan from Juventus, he looks like a perfect candidate to fit into that Juve squad in the future. Um, but he, take, he takes those two goals superbly. I mean, the first from distance and the second one just kind of knocks down, gets it past a few defenders and then slots it past the goalkeeper. So you're thinking the worst for Calgary, especially Ranieri hasn't really been able to record much wins on that team at the moment. And they've struggled for results generally. And yeah, I'm, I'm expecting the worst. Obviously, a third is then added uh, as the second half kicks off. So you're thinking 3-0 down, this could be even worse for Calgary. They look absolutely awful. And then out of nowhere, they do this amazing comeback, which was the first time in history goal. I saw the stat as well. First time an Italian team from the 70th minute mark are able to bring it back. And um, boy, did they put a lot of effort into it. Every attack that they did, Frosinone just seemed to just crumble or just stand still. It was almost like... You know, when you've got those kind of motion, like it slowed down just to see mm -hmm. the ball kind of spinning towards the goal. It was one of those moments. And yeah, every time you just saw an attack, you just felt Calgary going to score this. Mm -hmm. And they did. And Pavramento, who came on as well, Pavarotti, the um, forward, I've forgotten his name, but um, he absolutely dominated um Pavoletti the second yeah the second he yeah. came on like super experienced striker 35 years old Cagliari hero comes on and it looks like the game's gone for Frosinone and yeah 94th and 96th minute winners it it felt like we've all played in games of football where <laughs> you can just feel the tide turning and there's nothing you can do and it just there were it would just seem like from the second I turned over, so you're welcome, Calgary fans. From the second I turned <laughs> over, it felt like Calgary were only going to score. Um, but Ranieri, it's a huge win for him. This is Calgary's first win of the season. He was starting to get rumours about being sacked. Jason, it's yeah. always nice to see Ranieri with a smile on his face, right? I'm a cracking manager. I'm a cracking <laughs> manager. So it's nice to see him do well. I'm just uh, having a look. I came across the match yesterday. I just saw 4-3. Sounds very entertaining. I didn't know they were 3-0 three, three down and pulled it all back inside. <laughs> what? Less than, uh, what, 24 minutes? <laughs> uh, crazy. Incredible. Do you know, it'll be very interesting to see how uh, Frosinone uh, mm -hmm. managed to respond from this, to be honest. They've just come up from uh, Serie B going into mm -hmm. Serie A. 
going three 0 up away from home against Kegliari, and it looks like they're going to pick up a win, and then all of a sudden you find yourself uh, on the receiving end of history. Uh, it'd be yeah. interesting in the next game to see how they respond from there and how mentally strong the players are. Uh, and for Cagliari picking up the first win of the season now, they need to start to build on that, really. It looks very tight down there, actually. It the, is. Uh, area, <laughs> to be honest. It's going to be tense down there. I think Frosinone, it's mad because their away form has been absolutely atrocious. And then when they went 3-0 up, everyone was like, oh, okay, they've learned a few things. Hmm. Uh, turned out they learned nothing, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, but yeah, Cagliari, first win for them, absolutely massive. And one of those games that just sometimes Serie A is absolutely mental, just absolutely yeah. mental. And that was one of them, thankfully. Unbelievable. Uh, we do also need to say players for Cagliari that really stood out. Um, Makumbu again with one of the goals. Yeah. I also really like Lovumbo, the forward. He's been really good this season, really, really exciting. Um, and I think he had a very good game as well. So great, great result for them. What what a start to the Sunday. Um, we're going to skip to Sunday evening. Skip to Sunday evening, the late yeah. kickoff. Um, Napoli to Milan 2. And Adam, I think this was a real, real treat, right? This game was absolute yeah. box office. This was the uh, game that I think most Serie A fans were looking forward to. Um, but genuinely, it was a game of kind of chess, essentially, because you had two different halves. Napoli really struggled in the first half. Milan put in a lot of intensity, pressure, using that kind of midfield three of Musa as well as Reinders and Krunic to really put pressure on the likes of Zelinski and Lobotka. And it really did come to fruition in the 22nd mark when Pulisic puts a cross. And then Giroud, who has an eight-game drought, manages to get his head. And his head is just too much for Meret in the goal. A lot of people have he said should Merit do should better do better, there, but I, I think the strength of Giroud's header does it enough, just does enough. And when you're in that position, sometimes you're just flapping at it. So mm. I give credit to Giroud and save Merit's blushes there. Um, but then literally 10 minutes later, across from Calabria on the right-hand side, Rachmani, who is marking Giroud, is easily pushed off by Giroud. And you, again, Napoli are like just frozen. They don't know what to do. They're struggling. They can't get hold of the ball. It's just they're a shadow of the Napoli that we know from last season. And, mm -hmm. you know, Rudy Garcia, we've been saying for a number of weeks, he's really struggling to get a tune out of this squad. But he but... manages to pull up two, three, three substitutions at half time. Five minutes later, Politano rasping a shot into the roof of them there. It was a fantastic effort and brings them back into the game. And Napoli just from there onwards just look like they're more mm -hmm. and more likely to kind of get themselves not only back into the game but they're also winning this game and you know 10 minutes later Raspadori has a free kick opportunity now I don't think necessarily he would be the best person to take a free kick but he's you know you have to look at the like the preview of that mm -hmm. I mean it was such an amazing free kick and it's a beautiful yeah. strike it was a beautiful yeah. strike I think Rudy Garcia, we do, as you rightly pointed out, we have to give him credit that he made three substitutions. He he changed the game midway, which is something we have criticised him about not yeah. being able to do, like coaching game. He's turned it round. They were a completely different side second half, as you said. I do think he needs to find a way to get Osimhen and Raspadori in the same game in the same team, though. I think yeah. Raspadori is enough of a quality, exciting player and offers enough of a threat. And obviously, Osimhen is Osimhen. I don't think you can just let Raspadori sit on the bench. I think he needs to find a way to get both those players in there and have that kind of double attack. I also think Kavana in this game, we kind of saw 
the best of Cavana, with, despite him not getting a goal. I feel like at oh, times yeah. he was absolutely unplayable and just mm. his dribbling and his ability to beat a man. And it, it was up against Calabria, wasn't it? He was up against... Yeah, Calabria. And every, mm. This is the player that in the Champions League had the better of Cavana last year and it was all about how he shut him down. I feel like Cavana might have had that game in his mind because it was like personal at points where he was like, <laughs> how many times can I beat you? Um, so I thought it was really, really great performance from him. Um, and Napoli much, much improved, but it's just consistency. Again, you can't start a game that badly. You're not going to be able to pull yourself out of it every single time. Um, of course, there was a contro- controversy controversy at the end. The softest second yellow I've ever seen. I don't <laughs> yes. know if you saw this, Jason, for Nathan being sent off. Um, it, he, he dared have the attacker run into him. Um, and for some reason, the, the ref deemed it um, enough to send him off. Like, Adam, did you... That was no way a red card, and it cha- it killed no. off Napoli's momentum, right? No, and I kind of said it in the review. He definitely was one of those. It's a foul, and that's it. There's, it's not a card. I'm not it's even not sure a... it's a foul. You know, honestly, look, look. I've seen them so many times where they they are given, but the point is, it's not a foul. It's not a foul in the traditional yeah. sense of it has to be a yellow card. Second it has yellow. to be. That's ridiculous, and it was not something that Adetan like literally deserved. Anyway. It didn't kind of spoil it for Napoli because literally four minutes later, Kafara has the chance to win the match. Almost, oh. does, almost does it. Um, right at the end. So, but I think there's also question marks, Rory, about Pioli as well. Like nine lives Pioli, as I call it. <laughs> How many like, questions are we going to ask about Stefano Pioli? I'm like, it's insane. I, I don't insane. know how this guy survives half the time, but there is question marks about his game management. He took off Pulisic at half time. Uh, you know, and then took off Giroud and Liao, and they both looked pissed off when they were told to come off the pitch. Because, yeah, Luka Jovic has not been doing anything for that squad at the moment. Not, I've, I've not... said it before, bringing on Jovic is like waving the white flag and just being like, we'll take the draw. <laughs> <It> <laughs> like, literally... We'll take the draw. This is us. <laughs> Don't worry, boys. We're not doing anything else now. But, um, yeah, taking off Liao and Giroud is a pretty ballsy move. Like, Jason, did, did you see Giroud's... Uh, reaction it was kind of the like are you sure are you sure about this <laughs> now to be fair he just grabbed a couple of goals hasn't he so yeah, well, uh, yeah, you know <laughs> he's, he's, he's back in amongst the goals so uh if you want him there to to uh, go on and uh, try and regain the lead and uh, try and come away with a three points you've got a player that's sitting there on a brace mm-hmm. uh clearly uh, playing with confidence from the game you want to leave them on and obviously Olivier Giroud's uh, a class striker in my opinion, uh, mm-hmm. he's good with his physicality. He's good in the air. He's got a beautiful little finish on him as well. Uh, so he's exactly the kind of player that uh, you get into a good position. You give him the ball, he'll put it into the back mm-hmm. of the net. Um, I, I thought, look, just having a look at the game, looking at the stats, looks like a very uh, close, very narrow game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you made a really good point about Napoli. They're a fantastic team. I watched them a lot last season. They played mm-hmm. some sensational stuff. Uh, if you're going to go 2-0 behind in a game and you're chasing a game, you're going to be struggling to, to be picking up points. And I think that's what's gone wrong here for Napoli. Mm. Clearly got it in order in the uh, in the second half. It seems like the red card's just taken a bit of a sting away towards uh, the uh, end of the match in the uh, 90th minute. But um, I, I wonder if uh, Milan would probably be happy with the point. If you used to say to him before the game, you go away to Naples and you pick up a point. 
I imagine they'd probably be pretty happy with that because it's, it's a difficult place to go to, it, isn't it? It yeah. is so, a difficult place. Their, their record there isn't bad. It's a difficult place to go. I think the only thing that makes it worse is that they knew that Inter had got a win before. So yeah. all of a sudden they know Inter are top and then it feels terrible. Put, but I pressure, think there's pressure as well, yeah. isn't there? Exactly. Um, exactly. And then tune it up and then, and then blow it. Um, it's all about perspectives really yeah. uh I, I, gen- I don't think a point uh, a bad result to be honest but uh considering you tune up and you you blow it uh i think napoli will be pretty happy and will take confidence away from that and look to to try and build from there fingers crossed for yeah. him fingers because there is still a lot of very good players there. and politano this year for napoli he's a player that was laughed out of inter he's been laughed out of everywhere <laughs> he was basically and he's absolutely banging him in for Napoli this year. So really good to see um, Garcia getting the best out of him. That was a cracker of a game. I really, really enjoyed that one. Two teams just absolutely going at it. Like the pace that game started at, I could not believe it. It was just end-to-end. It was, it was. insane. Um, it would have been game, game of the weekend if it wasn't for Cagliari and Frosinone, of course. <laughs> um, we are going to move on to arguably, well, uh, the game that bored me second most. <laughs> We're going to get to the most boring game at the end. Yeah, sure. um, but into one, Roma nil. Now, I was begging my mate Tommy here for us to get tickets. Like We kind of regularly go to the San Siro. I was like, we need to get tickets for this game. The Ultras had handed out 50,000 whistles for everyone to blow every time Lukaku wow. got the ball. He got <laughs> a horrific reception. It was all about Lukaku. It was all about how is he going to play? What's going to happen? And of course, it is Lukaku's replacement who gets the goal that seals mm. the win as Lukaku has less touches in the first half than Pavard, a centre-back, had in the opposition <laughs> box in that half. <laughs> um, it was anonymous, would be a compliment. Um, but as I said in the match review, I don't necessarily think it's all Rom's fault. Um, Roma... I don't think they had their first shot in the 75th minute. I think it was late on in the game. The first half, they didn't have a single attack. Um, it was the definition of a Mourinho performance, despite him not even being in the stadium. Um, Adam, what do we think of Roma's attitude to this? And Inter, finally, they they squeezed the win. They've not been able to do that much this year. No, and Roma kind of redefined the parking the bus, didn't they? They mm. really did um, kind of park the bus, but in a different sense. Um, but yeah, they didn't have any intent to win this match, and it did feel like it was more Inter that were likely to win this match. I mean, the fact that the whole focal point was around Lukaku kind of, I think, helped spin it for Inter Milan. They kind of made sure that it was all about them, and at the end of the day, they got the job done, which is... I think if this was last season, I think they struggle. I think they really mm-hmm. do struggle to get a result. Um, but this season, they certainly got it over the line. And Marcus Turam, what a signing he's proving to be. I Unbelievable. Mean, he's also showing what an instant upgrade he is on Lukaku already. Like, he did seven dribbles successfully done. Now, if you said that about Lukaku trying to do it, he'd either bounce off him or, you know, he'd just run into someone, right? So I think that was massively a point proved by Inter. Um, great business done by the hierarchy as well because to get him on a free when he looked like he was going to join Milan as well. Um, but yeah, you could see the players were fired up and look, the top of the table again, that's what they need to do. They've got to keep it consistent and Inzaghi is definitely gunning for that title, isn't he, at the mm-hmm. moment? He wants that Scudetto at the moment. So yeah, superb performance given the circumstances. You know, Roma should be a tough game in theory, but yeah, I think it was only tough by the fact that they kind of had bodies behind the line. That was it. 
Yeah, I think there's a point where they have to. I understand what Mourinho is. I understand what level yeah. the Roma the Roma squad are at, but they have to be more ambitious. Like than this is how you would expect Cagliari to head to the San Siro, really, or a Frosinone. Not like Roma are not a bad side. Yes, they've no. got injuries. They've got a very shallow squad. But I think if I was a Roma fan, I would be super frustrated at just not even just considering yourself so far off them, like just yeah. openly admitting, oh yeah, we're nowhere near that. If we get a point, it's a miracle. And that seemed to be what the narrative was, even from Roma fans. I find it really surprising. Um, but for Inter, as we said, this this season, it's kind of been an issue for them to break down teams that have just sat back and said breakers down. And I think Inter were able, well, no, they were able to do it. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a habit they need to get into because... Um, the other team that are right behind them are managing to squeeze out these wins. Um, they are not going away. The, the fact they've not got European football is a big bonus for them. Juve, bloody hell. They 97th minute, they beat Hellas Verona 1-0 at home. Um, Andrea Cambiasso, youth product, getting the goal to seal the win. Um Jason, I don't know if you watch, uh, if you've managed to watch much Juve this year. I would honestly put a health warning on the package. Have you seen much <laughs> of them? They are absolutely atrocious. Have you seen them? Uh, I've not managed to see them. I just uh, keep uh, an eye. I like to keep an eye across Europe uh, just to, to see how everybody's uh, getting on. Uh, and I've seen that they're obviously sitting in second place. And as you say, not having Europe can be a really big mm -hmm. bonus. And sometimes in football, it's just about grinding out and grabbing a result. And if you're going to leave it to the 96th minute, then Fine. you're going to leave it to the 96th minute. <laughs> yeah. But end of the day, the result shows three points and a mm -hmm. win and pressure put on to Inter Milan in the next day. Uh, and if you're going to have a, a team like Roma come to the San Siro, it's clearly the intention is just to not play football, park a bus and say try and break. <laughs> Down. Yeah. It can become very frustrating and then it puts a lot of pressure and a lot of anxiety into the crowd. So it was nearly a perfect weekend there for, for Juventus to grab a late winner and uh, see Roma try and uh, just grind out uh, a nil-nil at the San Siro, but uh, but not to be. Um, I expect Juventus to be in and around uh, the, the top of Serie A. It's where you expect Juventus yeah. to be. I mean, the ambition for them has to be to return back into Champions League football by mm -hmm. the end of the season will be will be their aim. But they'll be looking at it and thinking 10 games, seven wins, second place, two points behind into Milan. Uh, they can build on that and they can try and uh, try and push forward. And uh, obviously, everyone knows what Juventus are, are capable of. Um, so it's it's interesting. It's a very interesting league, actually, Serie A. Just uh, having a look at it. It looks very tight at the top and very yeah. tight at the mm -hmm. bottom uh, as well. So it's, it very much seems like a league where uh, a lot of teams are just capable of beating anybody and uh, teams are just capable of grinding out and getting results which makes for a very entertaining weekend every weekend when it comes to uh, Italian football well this is it I think it's going to be it's, I think it's going to be a genuinely great season like last year it was amazing seeing Napoli run away with mm -hmm. it it was incredible but I think this title race is going to be insane but Adam um <laughs> Allegri um Juve fans don't care do they they don't care they it's don't the care. most they boring don't... thing in the world they don't care. And Jay made it looks or and sounds really positive. Like Juventus's <laughs> that's performance. That's what Juve was, fans like, hear. Like, that's yeah. what they like to hear, that they are almost close to the Scudetto. Um, but it was dreadful to watch. Absolutely it awful. Brutal. It was against one of the worst sides that I've probably given them far too much credit, Hellas Verona, over the last yeah. few weeks. I was well, keep on thinking they that they will good. pull it out of the bag. But they looked the most dreadful side that couldn't even muster any form of attack. It was mm. pretty much a bit like 
Roma, but to a worse extent. They had five people at the back at one time. They could not get beyond the kind of halfway line more yeah. than like a couple of times in this match. And, you know, for all Juventus's chances, like they really didn't create much in terms of opportunities on goal. They really struggled to get those shots on target. And it, w- it did take the substitutions to really mix it up. So they brought on Chiesa, Milik, for example, Ilides as well. Um, and, you know, it was Arkadish Milik who gets the header, hits the uh, post. Davidovic has a fantastic game for Hellas Verona, can't clear his lines, and Cambiasso jumps in and tucks away the chance. I mean, that's the most scrappiest goal you're going to get. Um, but that was pretty much summed up Juventus. They're happy to do that kind of style of football. Um, it's a shame, but there's, you know, I don't think this Juventus side really stacks up against the bigger sides, personally. I think. They were fortunate that Milan were terrible last week and they had obviously a sending off that played a part in it. But I think against the likes of Inter, your Napoli, I I think there's going to be a tougher game for them. But yeah, Allegri, again, you've got to give them credit. Another clean sheet. That's probably the positive to get out of this. He is now the second Juve manager to be able to keep 100 home clean sheets. Um, Giovanni Trapattoni has 150. He's now just got his 100th. Um, and that is all he'll care about. That is absolutely exactly. all he'll care about. Um, to wrap up very quickly, the other results, Atalanta have just beat Empoli 3-0. Yeah. Gianluca Scamacca in my fantasy team against Tommy has just scored two. Absolutely beautiful. Great to see him back. Mm. Genoa getting a huge win against Salernitana, who look massively in trouble. Sassuolo 1, Bologna 1. As Xerxi scores again, the yeah. minutes he's getting absolutely paying off for him. Torino beat Lecce, a massive win for them. They've not won in a very long time, so huge for them. Monza, <laughs> Udinese draw again. Who'd have I was going to say, Gabriel <laughs> Choffi, there's a new manager at the helm, Gabriel Choffi, who used to be at Crawley Town. He's now at Udinese. Got a draw, yes. You missed it. Adrian Sutel is no I longer the manager at Udinese. So, uh, or should we call it miss. Watford Reserves? I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, another draw. And- Another another draw for them. And Lazio have just scored Chiro Immobile in the 95th minute with oh. a penalty to go 1-0 up against Fiorentina. That should secure the win for them. That is all the action in Serie A in the Premier League this year, uh, this weekend. Um, midweek, we do have some Carabao Cup action. Um, just looking at the ties here, West Ham taking on Arsenal, Chelsea, Blackburn Rovers, Everton, Burnley, Bournemouth hosting mm. Liverpool. Ipswich Town at home to Fulham. That could be one with a bit of a banana skin, I think. Manchester United, Newcastle, Exeter City, Mills, Middlesbrough. Bloody hell, that is a long journey for Borough fans. Christ alive. And Mansfield Town against Port Vale. Uh, that is your midweek action. Jason, thanks for coming on. It has been fantastic no to have you. Um, when when our viewers and listeners want to find your stuff, where, where can they find you? Uh, mainly on YouTube, you just put JSGC in, you'll find all my stuff uh, on there. That would be much uh, appreciated if anybody does want to go and check it out. Uh, I'm on Twitter, tags just at JSGC171 if you want to go and follow me on there. That would be much appreciated. You can find me on Instagram as well. Uh, and you can also find me on TikTok, posting the occasional TikTok video as well. Uh, if you want to go and check them out, and that would be much appreciated. Beautiful. I'm sure they will be doing that. Adam, anything to say before I let these people get on with their Monday evenings? Uh, no, nothing apart from Lionel Messi has won his eight Ballon d'Or. There we go, folks. Just absolutely incredible. I'm so glad he's got it. I know. I'm, I know you're going to be gutted that Haaland hasn't won it. Immediate reaction before we go, Jason. Immediate reaction. <laughs> Haaland robbed. 
Leno <laughs> 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 well, Messi is a class player, though. He's 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 absolutely world class. The achievements that he's done uh, in football, uh, it's of no surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, he just oozes class. Um, so yeah, congratulations there to Lionel Messi, and I'm sure Erling Haaland uh, in the near future will will be a, a Ballon d'Or winner. Uh, you know, oh, who knows? Next sure. year, maybe might just be Haaland's year. Quite possibly, and we do also need to say Jude Bellingham won the Golden Boy as well in yes, the least surprising yeah. turn of events ever. Absolutely love that boy. Good work. Um, nice. Well, that's it. We're going to leave you there, guys. Thanks for joining us. As all. As always, um, you can find us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod, and on TikTok at Anglo Italian Pod. Please hit the like and subscribe button down there. Um, and we will see you on Friday to preview next weekend. Uh, a dopo. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Podcast Network.